You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. My guest this week is Kevin Samsell. He's the author of I Made an Accident, a book of his collages published by Clash Books. He's also an author and runs Future Tense Press. We discuss my adolescent crush on Susan Day, what to do when you're creatively blocked, Beat Happening, and Babes in Toyland, Friends Who Kill Themselves, and How to Write About It, and so much more. Hi, I'm Kevin Sampsell, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show! Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Kevin Sampsell. He's the author of I Made an Accident. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. I the, I love your collage book. It's like inspiring. I want to start doing collage now. I like just I go through your book and I'm like, I, why am I not doing this? That's fun. It's something that I think like everyone can do. You know, everyone has their own ideas and like visual obsessions and like, you know, like things that pique their their interest in their eyeballs you know so yeah I totally encourage anyone to to do it so a lot of times when I show people my collage work they're like oh I used to do that or you know like uh you know I tried to do that but I wasn't good or like you know I don't know it seems like the easiest art form to me it's you know it's interesting I was um I I've been doing online dating, which is why you could see more wrinkles in my face right now, just because the world is crazy out there. But this one lady yesterday, <clears throat> um, what, what it, whoa, she's, uh, she was like, yes, I can never, um, I've always wanted to write a book, but I can never write a book because it wouldn't be as good as the other books. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't think we're going to get along. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's just like these people that are like, oh yeah, I tried, but it's hard. So no. And it's just like, it, it just doesn't come out. Yeah. You just like you have to sit there with the glue and play. Yeah. With the glue or the typewriter or notebook or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. I don't understand that. I think that's, uh, I don't know if that, that's just something that's happened in our society today where people are afraid to try something because there's so many examples everywhere people that are good at it and it makes people just kind of give up before they even start and that and that's and that's a shame because it, i think that's when people lose the um what do you call it they they they're they're dead before they even try because they you know they read a uh you know their favorite author or whatever and go oh god i can't do that and they don't realize that that author took probably 20 years to get that 300 pages yeah that they're reading you know yeah um yeah i think it's um people aren't allowed to learn in public anymore it seems like you know like you have people who uh you know before the internet <laughs> yeah. before the internet um you know you have people who would uh you know work on their craft and 
And then they would, you know, maybe have a book out or a story published somewhere and it'd be like, yeah, this is like all these years of work. And now, you know, people are sharing their own work or there's just so many options for people to get published or show their, their art online. And, and sometimes they're afraid to do it because um, they, don't, they don't think they're good enough. And so you don't have that progression of somebody starting out showing that kind of stuff and then letting people see it get better yeah or or they or they put it out too early because it's so it's so easy to put stuff out and then they put it out too early and then they don't get enough little blue hearts or red hearts and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're devastated and they're out of the game yeah um yeah it's like um yeah it's okay for people to look back at the stuff that they created you know in the past and and be like slightly embarrassed about it i think like everyone should do that but i feel like sometimes people just want to just get right into their career show everyone how awesome they are and not have those kind of like uh warts and 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 bumps and mistakes and accidents that you know that their early creative process needs even late creative process i mean I'm, I'm still making huge mistakes but i know that when i'm working on something i have to make all these mistakes and write terribly in order to find the stuff to pull it out yeah yeah um you know it's sort of like that thing where uh like if you think about like tv shows you know with like child actors or whatever and and those people are you know even during our childhoods <laughs> you know like uh you know the, those child actors are like they're watched over by paparazzi and media and stuff like that that's why so many of them like become these kind of like fucked up people you know and and um because they grew up in public you know and I think the creative process now with the internet and everyone kind of seeing everything that people are doing or, you know, or people just like feeling compelled to share their, 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 their stuff for, you know, outside approval or whatever. It's like, um, um, I don't know. I'm not sure how I can match those things up, but you know what I mean? Like, like a child actor when they're growing up in public, they're, they're, they're being watched over and it's like, they can't make a mistake or they can't like, um, um, you know, um, make a bad career choice or like if they, or if they disappear for a year or two, then like, you know, uh, like, Oh my God, what happened to that person that was on that TV show three years ago, they must be like, destitute and doing drugs or something like that you know and I think that's another aspect of that whole of this whole conversation is that that even goes for like uh you know book people and visual artists too like people make stuff for a while and they might have a really productive period and then um and then they might not make anything for four or five years and then I think like sometimes people are like, whatever happened to that person? Like, oh, they, you know, their last book must not have done well. So they're like, you know, they're just like working their office job or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it, it's um, well, it's especially those kid actors. I mean, I feel so sorry for them because 
We're not supposed to, I don't think we're supposed to have that many people looking at us with an excited look in their, in our, in their eyes. And those, and there, and these kids are like, I don't know this person, but they see this coming at them constantly. And then all of a sudden when it's not, then it's just like, Oh wait, the world isn't like this. It's the, the eye contact and the eagerness just kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's I'm sure that must be super hard to deal with, especially for younger. Yeah. uh, Younger people, musicians, actors, or. Yeah. I'd go straight to drugs. I'd just be like, I know it's your first day on set, but here's some heroin, probably easier to shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's probably, you know, probably all has to do with personality types too. Like some of these people who are really gifted writers or musicians or artists are probably people who are really, really like socially awkward. You know, I know that from just meeting a ton of people through my years, like whether it be writers or musicians or something, it's like, you realize like, oh, these people are just like everybody else. A lot of them are kind of fucked up and they don't really like to talk to people or they're antisocial or they're like super, super shy, you know? And so, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it's just like, you know, they could have this stage presence of like the sexual stage presence, but they're actually like really good dads and they have solid families <laughs> and, it's just, <laughs> and it's beautiful. Cause it's just like, that's the show part of it. And then here's the, the real life part where a lot of them um, there's, there's many more than I thought that would be um, that, that would be actually just very normal looking nor uh, their life is very normal looking until they're on stage and there's pyrotechnics and fireworks you know yeah yeah i yeah i really like that i really like that uh when people have like sort of dual kind of uh lives you know between their like everyday life and their their art life or whatever you know um i always think it's really fun to meet people before i know about their art and it's kind of be like, oh, yeah, there's like this normal guy. I was talking to him about, you know, basketball or whatever. Yeah. And like, and, and then like, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, did you know that they're in this band or whatever? And then you like find out like what they what they're like on like a stage or whatever. And you're like, oh, wow, that's that's super cool, too. <laughs> yeah. I, is, that is that's the best. I, I was at a book festival um, and, a, and a friend's friend was like me and him were like rapping in the green room about books and stuff and just and he's like oh yeah i'm 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 in a band and i was like oh that's cool you know and it, and we and we kept bumping to each other all day and then there was an after party and we bumped into him again and i was like oh i forgot to ask what's the name of your band he's all a helmet and i'm like oh my <laughs> god i've seen you guys so many times i can't believe i didn't recognize you oh my gosh was it the singer guy yeah it was the singer i'm just like sitting there i've been talking books with the singer of helmet all day and and i think and I feel like that was when our relationship ended. <laughs> because I think you saw the look in my eyes. I was like, "Oh my god, I saw you like in '91 with uh, the who it was. It was a oh, the Helmet and the Melvins in '91. Uh, I was just like, it's one of like my, of it's one of those shows that are just mind blowing, you know. And it's <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I yeah, I can imagine. I saw yeah. the Melvins a few times, but I never did see Helmet. But I did really like. Um, I did like Helmet a lot, like at least for like the one or two albums that they yeah. had early. Um, exactly. Yeah, that stuff was great. 
Um, I think they were like, were they on amphetamine reptile records too? And that's, I think that's how I found out about them. Cause I was just like this college radio DJ who was just trying to suck up as much as possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How old are you, Tony? 53. Okay. I'm 55. So yeah. Yeah. I'm 53 as of last, uh, I've only been 53 for like three or four days. I'm very, you know, so very new to this. I'm very new to this. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, I don't know why I asked that. Oh, I think it's just because of the the, the time frame, the music. Uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it um, means everything though, because yeah, you, if you if you, it's like when people um, find people. I had this one uh, lovely uh, actress who wanted me to um, help her write a uh, biopic of um, Courtney Love, so she could try to pitch it, so she can play Courtney Love, and I'm like, she's like 20 years younger than me, and I'm like, one. No, (laughs) but there's just like this glamorizing thing that she has of Courtney Love. And I'm like, I come from an era of no, not her. What? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mixed feelings about Courtney Love. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, if you really want to dive into it, let's, let's do something like Babes in Toyland or L7. Let's go into that part of it. Let's not do the whole part of it. Oh man. Babes in Toyland so Mm -hmm. fucking good i was like yeah i mean i like i like uh you know the first couple of whole records for sure yeah um i thought they were great but i mean babes in toyland is the real deal that's 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 the source right and she's just looking at me like huh and i'm like i yeah i saw babes i I saw babes in toyland in spokane washington like Mm -hmm. i think when their first album came out and I was I lived in Spokane like in 88 and then I moved back in like 90, 91. What and, great uh, years for music there. Uh, such a great, such a great um time. And I lived in Seattle in 1990. Um so I saw like lots of great music around that time. But um I remember Babes in Toyland came and they played at this little bar. And I think uh, I don't know if I actually had heard their music much i just knew that they were like you know like all girl like like heavy rock band yeah, okay yeah. i'm gonna see that and um i i feel like there was maybe like 20 people or something there and they start out the first few chords and then cat just like the first words aren't even words they're just like a scream and i just remember kind of just like standing sort of in front of the the, the stage they're just like oh holy shit it's like my hair blew back with the with the power of their music it was it was amazing i feel like we could do this whole show just talking about like we we just might (laughs) the um what what shows like uh pop out from that era like is there is there a few where you're just like oh man i was there for that i was there for that um yeah i mean the probably like the the sort of life-changing show for me, honestly, was, um, let's see, it was when I was living in Seattle, so it was 89, and uh, I went with a friend to go see Fugazi, and... Oh, uh, my God. And <laughs> hey, I, my, know, my, my heart just, like, palpitated. I just, I yeah. missed those shows. Go ahead. <laughs> 1989, Fugazi. It's like they only have, like, two albums out or something. Right. And, um, and I liked them from what I heard, but I didn't really know too much about them, and I went, and... Um, my cat's making a bunch of noise in the background. She's like trying to climb into a paper bag, but um, 
Um, uh, my cat Susan, who uh, you know, listeners might might know from the internet. Um, but uh, anyway, I went to go. See she, is she does she have an OnlyFans channel? How would they know her? Oh, uh, she's just all, like all over my Instagram and and oh, okay. like that. Whenever I post something on Instagram, there's always like you know, it's like a slideshow format. I like I, I gotta follow you on Instagram so I, I get I can get to know oh. your cat. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I have a lot of stories about her and stuff. She's she's a beautiful cat with a lot of personality. And her name why is Suzanne. Why did you name her Suzanne? Um, uh, a couple of reasons. Um, uh, I named her after Susan Steinberg, who's a really great writer that I like really um, like a lot and have kind of an author crush on. And, and it, I don't know that I don't know that author. Is she still alive? Yeah, yeah. Um, Does yeah, she know I, that you named her cat after her? Yeah, I think so. I I, yeah. I, I met her like a year or so before I got Susan, and um, and we had a friendly relationship. We text okay. sometimes and stuff like that. She came in right at Powell's and like we hung out um, after her reading and stuff when she came to Powell's. Yeah, but she's great. Yeah, she's kind of like an experimental sort of writer, I guess you would call it like easy category categorization of her. Um, yeah. She's had books on FC2, or women, yeah, FC2, and then her last couple of books were on Grey Wolf. Mm. Um, uh, her book that I think is my favorite of hers is called Spectacle. Mm. Okay. Short, short story collection, super good. Uh, um, yeah, she's like almost the exact same age as me too. Um, like her birthday is like two days before mine or something. So um, she, um, yeah, so anyway, she's great. And then also Susan Sontag. Um, just lots of good seasons, lots of good seasons. Yeah. And then there was also this Jenny Slate um, comedy special uh, a couple of years ago. And she's kind of like doing her little routine and she's like very like stream of consciousness and kind of just like, you know, uh, being cute and funny. And she talks about, um, she she starts talking about how she doesn't like her name. You know, she doesn't like the, the name Jenny. And then she just kind of pauses and all of a sudden says, I think Susan is the most beautiful name and, and everyone just like laughs, you know, cause it's just kind of random, but it's like, it was so good. And it like, and I kind of thought about it, like, Oh yeah, you know, it is, it is a beautiful name. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, when you say Susan, it doesn't conjure, like you could, you could say some names and I probably associate them with uh, people who weren't so great in my life, but you say Susan. And I just think, I think attractive, uh, morally upright, and um, and someone I would want to talk to for hours. Yeah, yeah. And there's also that you know that that um, that other part of uh, that. What would you call it? The the alternate of, of Susan is Suzanne. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, and that and and that that's a nice. Oh uh, wait! Oh my God! I just figured it out. Susan Day from Susan the Partridge Day. family. She had a. She was in a movie that just died but she was topless in the movie and I got to see her boobs. And that meant everything to me when I was like 15 years old, I was like, I got to see Susan day's boobs from the oh, family. And that, what that forever changed my life to become a degenerate person. I wonder what would happen if you just Googled partridge family boobs and see. <laughs> I, do, I don't want to, cause I don't want to. Yeah, I'm sure everyone at home listening to this is going to be Googling Susan day. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever even seen boobs before. So since they, it was like, you, you know, it's just, you know, I'm this kid and I'm just going, oh my God. It's, uh, uh, yeah. We could go down a whole path now and just make our whole show about, about boobs. But oh, oh, we, we can. Just, maybe we should have a show that's just called music and boobs. <laughs>
they, they're, they're important. Both are okay. very important. Okay, so can I, okay, I'm going to go back to the Fugazi story. I'm sorry we got sidetracked. Because Sidetrack's great. Fugazi, here we go. She, she's Fugazi, like, go. Playing in the bag. <laughs> okay, she's out of the bag. She's sitting in the window now. Um, so I was, I went to go see Fugazi. And it was at some, you know, like, um, uh, wherever they played, like the, the, the Eagles Lodge or, you know, some like one of those places that it had to be all ages. So went and um oh, that's right that's why i loved about their shows and their records it had to be all ages it was never over five dollars to see them yeah. live yeah 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 it's, yeah um <laughs> it'd be funny if they were still around and like playing shows and people were giving them shit for charging like ten dollars or something like no exactly and you people know, did that yeah. <laughs> you sold out it's 10 bucks now yeah. jesus <laughs> twice as much um <laughs> But anyway, Beat Happening was opening up for them. Oh, good one. And, um, you know, and it was kind of an infamous tour. I remember like afterwards kind of like reading up about, you know, their their tour and how like, you know, all these people were kind of like upset that Beat Happening was playing with them because they were like this kind of twee like band with like one guitar and like, a, you know, a girl drummer and stuff like that. And, and a lot of people were like just into like the, the kind of like punk, you know, angry Fugazi yelling kind of stuff. And um, and they were opening and I didn't know anything about them. And I was kind of standing toward the back uh, of, the, of the crowd actually. But I just remember like being like instantly like transfixed by like the minimalism, mm -hmm. the like primitive kind of sound, um, Calvin Johnson's dance moves and like his stage presence, like really strong, you know, like he just looks like a normal dude. He's wearing like a white t-shirt and jeans, you know, and Converse, you know, low tops. And, um, and he's just kind of doing these like kind of goofy dances. He's kind of like gyrating and, and um, you know, it just it seems like, like he, it's almost like he's provoking the audience in a way he's like mm -hmm. standing up straight he's not being meek and he's not like telling people to be quiet or whatever right and um it is so like childlike and simple and i just remember thinking like oh my god this this band is is so cool like i just remember being like instantly just in love with beat happening and uh, and his dance moves he was he was he had even though it was goofy what was great about him? It, it was it was absolute authority on the stage. There yeah. was it, and it's there's a beauty to that where it's just like, oh wait, this guy's goofy. Oh wait, the, it's that's his authentic dance moves, and that's yeah. his jam. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. It was great. I was kind of just like crushing out on the whole thing, and um, I went out the next day and I went to like fallout records in Seattle and I bought like all the beat happening stuff I could find, which was, I think at that point, like maybe two cassettes and like two or three, seven inch records or something like that. Um, and then, and then from there, I, um, you know, I loved the records and, um, and I, I also sort of loved that, like a lot of people were kind of, it was their sort of a polarizing band. Like most people I knew didn't really like them. And they're just like, what is happening? They're just like a weird, like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like they're like a band for children because they're so simple, you know, it's like, um, 
but I just love them. And I loved the fact that Calvin ran his record label and it was K records and he still does. And they're like, you know, I wrote them letters, fan letters or whatever. And I got like the little mail order, you know, newsprint sheet with their list of like cassettes and records that you could buy from them. And they all have these like really kind of like goofy pseudo beatnik kind of descriptions of like the, the music and stuff. And um, I just loved it. I loved it so much. And I went and saw them a couple of more times in Seattle and um then I like, you know, left Seattle, but I would like mail order records and stuff from them and I would get records. And um, I don't think I had a record player actually at that time. So what I would do is I would go to the library and I would, um, they would have record players there with headphones and I would go to the library and I would like maybe hook up my cassette player or something or some, some kind of like, I had, there's some kind of something you could do where you could hook up a cassette player thing. And I would record the records onto a cassette so I could like listen to them on my cassette. But that was kind of like the whole process of like getting these songs and these records and then recording them on a cassette at the library. Yeah. Uh, so much so- better than Spotify. So much better than, <laughs> you know, it's just we got to seek things out. We went and saw bands live and then we're like, oh, my God, I love the opener. You go to the merch table, you talk to them, you buy the record, you mm-hmm. correspond with them. You go to the library and make a cassette so you can listen in your car. Just- yeah, you had to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was, yeah. So that was like a, you know, and K Records really influenced um, what I wanted to do and what I do now with with future tense books and publishing other people's books it's like I kind of treat future tense books um almost like somebody would treat like their independent record label you know I kind Mm -hmm. of like see like each thing that I put out on future tense as being like like as exciting as like a new band putting out a record um so that's something that I've always tried to do with that. Uh, one other story I want to tell really quick about that night was after Beat Happening played, I had like a scooter that I was riding around. Was it was, it, was it like a Vespa? No, it wasn't anything fancy like that. It wasn't like a snobby scooter. <laughs> it was like a Yamaha. It was oh, like yeah. a Yamaha, yeah, yeah. Yamaha Riva or something like that. Yeah, they and get you there. Yamaha. They get you there. Yeah, it was great. It was super fun. I loved having a Yamaha Riva in Seattle. So I was like, I, I had to go uh, get something. Um, and I had like a friend of mine with me. So we got on my scooter and we like went and like, you know, got something at his apartment that he needed or something. And then we we're riding back and it was like raining lightly, not like that much. And I was like, um driving riding through a, an intersection i wasn't going super fast and there's a pedestrian walking in the intersection and i and my friend and i me drive me right driving the the scooter hit the pedestrian and oh like crashed um but you know like i said we weren't going very fast we basically just tumbled and my friend uh andy who was riding on the back was like kevin you know like all mad like like watch out and so we crashed, but then everybody was fine. Got back on the scooter, went back to the show and saw Fugazi, who was great and awesome. But I was just so like transfixed by seeing Beat happening earlier that night. It was yeah. 
Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. I love, and it's, yeah, it's just so, cause K records is such a specific vibe and, and, the, and the model of future tense books, um, which I feel like has a specific vibe too. And I, I've, I've been a fan probably, I don't know when you started like 20 years ago or Pretty even longer. Yeah. yeah. I was, yeah, I was just, um, thinking about this. Yeah. It was, um, 30 years ago that I moved to Portland, 1992. Yeah. And um, I had been doing Future Tense. I think I started it in 1990, you know, like kind of as like a thing to uh, put out my own little like Xeroxed yeah. books or whatever. So the first couple of, you know, years was me just kind of goofing off. And then I put out a couple of chapbooks where I'm like collaborating with other poets. And, um, and then, um, uh, I ended up in Portland in 92. And then I kind of feel like that's probably like the real birth of the, uh, of that, because, you know, it kind of like started to make more writers and I had like a couple of bookstores I could sell stuff at and, um, started publishing other people's, you know, chat books and stuff like that. And, um, so yeah, I think like 90 to 92 is sort of like this kind of incubation period for, for future tense. And then moving to Portland in 92, I think is when it really kind of like started to seem, you know, like legit or whatever. Like people would be like, hey, will you publish my book? You know, it's like, right, right. <laughs> so. Instead of going, hey, want to read my poetry? They're like, hey, can I, can I come on board? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, like when, when you, when people do this kind of thing, like publish, you know, small press publishing or like, creating their own record labels and stuff I think a lot of times it is just sort of this like naive kind of um accident that that happens where it's like I'm gonna put out my own record and I'm gonna like I'm gonna put this name on the record like you know um you know Blackberry Records or something like that like and people will think it's a, a record label like yeah, so I'm like, I, I'm gonna put Future Tense on the back, Future Tense books on the back, and people will think it's like a publisher. You uh -huh. know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And and it and it's and the and those are the things that mean everything because if if I I well, tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but if like you really knew the whole, if you knew what you know now, it would probably would have been a very different way that you would have started, but there's just such a beauty in being young and naive and going, you know what, I'm doing this and I, and, and I'm not answering to anyone. And I just want to, I want people, I just want to make friends. I want people yeah. to think I'm cool. I want to be cool. Yeah. Know? And like, you know, and yeah, putting out, uh, you know, writing art from, from people who are friends was um, that's a very, real uh authentic way to approach your you know starting your own business is like support your friends support your community and stuff um i remember seeing an interview with uh with brett the guitar player for beat happening and i remember him saying something like like yeah i only listen to music by my friends or whatever like he didn't really care about like um uh, Jane's addiction or you know like um you know fishbone or um red hot chili peppers or whoever was you know popular like right. he didn't listen to the radio I could just got the feeling he didn't listen to the radio at all he was like oh yeah I just listened to stuff by my friends you know I like you know um 
you know, and you just list off all these like cutesy pop band names, you know, it's just right. like, oh, wow, I really want to hear what the honeycombs sound like, you know, <laughs> just like, um, yeah, it's just funny. But I think that's a totally legit way of, of approaching it. Yeah, I remember I was such a fan of uh, Miranda July, even before she got her first movie out. And she had that uh, she K Records put out that um, that one record. And I interviewed her for her I interviewed her a few times. But the first time I interviewed her was for her movie, Me and You and Everyone We Know. And I had like the biggest crush on her. I mean, I'm just like sitting there going, you are a goddess. Try not try to just not drool, Tony, come up with some questions. And mm-hmm. um, and so I was just like, how did you get on K Records? And she's like, oh, me and Calvin uh, used to be together. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous of Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that that story, too. Um, yeah, Miranda July. Yeah, Miranda July is great. I mean, like, I love any kind of like artist um, who can be a writer, put out music, make movies, do yeah. visual art. Like, I mean, if, if, if you're a, a person who can do all those things well, like I'm, yeah, I'm all in. Like there's been a few people I've published on Future Tense who are really outstanding writers, but the clincher for me in some cases was like, oh, holy shit, like they're really interesting artists or philosopher too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's not just about the writing, it's kind of like about the person and like their impact in a lot of areas. I wrote, uh, uh, just, just, I vaguely remember Miranda, did Miranda, Miranda July did this thing where by, um, on VHS tapes, they they would she would send it to her like it was like a a, um, a chain letter of sorts, yeah. And and it would they would make short films and they would send the VHS to each other and then she would collect all the films and make one VHS compilation of short films. Yeah, I think it was called like Miss Moviola or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's just stuff like that's so rad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what the equivalent would be these days. But, it's you know. it's so yeah now i mean it's you know i think i think it's great you know part of part of things is like great that we got youtube great we got vimeo and stuff like that but man those those days of you know here's a here's a here's a vhs and it, those things weren't cheap in the day it was like i mean i remember like even when i was like you know in the beginning when um you know when you would like burn cds so they would yeah. play in your car or whatever. Those CDs were not cheap at all. It, it, to get a CD burn, it, it, you, were put, you were putting out money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> commitment. It was commitment, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we just need bandwidth. I was, um, I was uh, when, you, when you, I really liked the story of how you got into collage, which was after um, when you were working on your second novel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like after the, the Tin House uh, novel came out, um, this is between us and I was kind of like working on a second book, but I was also, yeah, I, like I said in the introduction, I think I also just wasn't like, didn't, didn't feel compelled to work on writing or maybe I was like burned out or something like that a little bit. And um, yeah, I wanted to like, do something fun. And I had done these like kind of 
weird, funny word collage things in the past um, where I cut out like words from headlines, newspaper headlines. And I would kind of like do a magnetic poetry thing where you kind of like move the words around and you'd come up with like just really ridiculous like headlines. And I was kind of inspired by like William Burroughs and, and um, you know, these, these people who would do these kind of cut up uh, techniques um, to their, their writing or their films or whatever. And so uh, I was kind of like, oh, I want to like, I'm going to take out that big envelope full of like newspaper words again and just like start goofing off like that because it's just kind of a fun, it's, it's like more, more fun for me right now, I think is what I was thinking. And, um, and it was like, I was getting outside of my head a little bit and kind of just like using my eyes and kind of like, just kind of playing like this kind of sense of play. Um, which I always try to do with my writing in a lot of ways too. Um, you know, I've always wanted to have this kind of sense of play. I always wanted it to be fun. And like, you know, like most writers, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. You know, there's a lot of times where I really hate writing, you know, yeah. probably, probably more often than the, the times that I love it, you know, but um, um, yeah. So for the collage stuff, I started playing around with the words again and I had these images and I would kind of like put the words on the images and, and kind of do these like, um, uh, do you remember those uh, postcards? They're still around by uh, Stella Mars. Do you know the Stella Mars? Oh my, it sounds familiar. Please, please. Uh... It's, another, it's another Olympia Washington uh, thing. Uh -huh. um, and they were kind of like these things where there'd be these images that usually be like 1950s kind of like images of like housewives or whatever, you know, uh, you know, mopping a floor or whatever. And then it, there'd be like words that would just kind of like play on that image, you know, like, um, you know, it'd say something like nobody knows her real secrets or something like, you know, like something like that, that would kind of just like um, kind of contradict this sort of like wholesome kind of image or whatever, you know, right, right. a lot of, a lot of like sort of feminist messaging and stuff like that. And those were great. And I, I really loved those. And um, I, one of my first pieces of journalistic writing actually was I interviewed Stella Mars about those like way back in like the nineties, early nineties when I first moved to Portland, I think. And um uh, but anyway, I was inspired by by that kind of stuff, and so I was like playing around with these words on these images, and um, and then I kind of like started to play around with these images, like kind of add things to the images, you know, cut out some other like goofy thing from some other picture and put it on, you know, the the picture, and and um, yeah, and then somebody uh, at work at, at Powell's uh, bookstore where I work, um, you know, showed me this book called Age of Collage, which is this huge. This is really big, like uh, anthology collection um, of uh, contemporary collage artists, and they would have like a bunch of their work in it, and they kind of have little kind of things about the artists and where they're from and stuff, and um, super amazing uh, collection. And she showed that to me, and I was and I was looking through, it and I was like, oh wow, this is great, you know. And I kind of started to see the images differently from that book. And then um, also just kind of like looking at other collage artists, kind of discovering a lot of collage artists online. Um, it all kind of just happened within like a very short time frame. It's like, you know, like 
you become obsessed with something and it's like, okay, I got to like research it on the internet. I have to like find these books and like, oh, there's like this video of this person doing this thing or whatever. Yeah. And um, so I just, yeah, I just kind of like got all in. And, and one of the funny things I remember looking through like the collage books and these like, you know, websites and, and people's Instagram pages of like their collage work is like, there was hardly any words involved. And, and, and my collages always had like words, you know, and they were kind of like, they would sort of play off of the image or they, they'd almost be able like little punchline kind of like kind of things. And, um, and so I was like, Oh, I really wish that there were other people who used words, you know, and there's a bunch of those in the book, you know, there's that, there's that section in, in my book that says like early works or something like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> has like all these pieces with like the words, you know, on it. And you can just tell that they're just like kind of goofy, um, but they're fun. I think they're kind of fun to, to look at. And it's always fun to see people look at them and read the captions because the captions are so ridiculous or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I just kind of like eventually started to move away from <clears throat> um, using words. I kind of like realized there was a couple of times where I had, I was putting something together and I'd put a word and I would like, you know, ask ask my my partner at the time like you know like hey what what do you think about this and they'd be like yeah you should you know take the word take the word off it looks cool without the words or whatever and I was like oh okay and so like you know and so I started kind of like use less and less words and um and now it's kind of it's pretty rare for me to have any kind of words involved you know in my collages um unless they're like really thin kind of like I've been doing this thing for the last year or two where I find these words, these big words in like advertisements or whatever, and I'll cut through the middle of the word. So you can kind of tell that they're letters, but you can't really tell like what the word is. You just see these like, you know, kind of like suggestions of like a a letter or a word. And I've been kind of throwing those into collages. And um, and, and so I, I kind of, I, I kind of discovered this thing where I'm like using words again, but in like this weird sort of fragmented way where it's like, you can't really tell what the word is. It's almost like, like you're in, it's like I'm implying that there's some kind of like message that you can't quite figure out. Um, and I think that was, I, th- I think that's really fun. It's, it's interesting. Cause you, you have your, you have your, I mean, I know the first novel blues myself too. It's like, you get your first novel out. It's on Tin house. It's a thing. It kind of becomes important. It's kind of serious. And mm-hmm. was this a way to get back to being playful again? Did, 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 was there like, was it when you were working on your second book going, Oh man, now, now I'm a serious writer. And it just, and maybe that could have been some of what you had to stop doing. Um. No, I don't think I ever really kind of thought of myself as like, oh, I'm a serious writer. Like, you know, people are expecting this kind of like this kind of thing from me next or whatever. Um, I I think I've always just tried to kind of shift a little bit creatively with each with each thing, you know. Um, I don't want to do like the same kind of thing all the time. Um, but um yeah, I, I'm just bringing my own. I'm I'm bringing my own baggage. Yeah, <laughs> that, no. that was my thing. I was I was trying to get even more serious, and I'm like, 
I was trying to write towards expectations that I didn't even realize I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was just like people, you know, I would just say, Oh yeah, I'm working on this and be like, Oh my God, that would make a great blank, blank and blank. And then all of a sudden it had all this pressure on it. Yeah. And then I would work two years on it. And then I just have to like blow it up because I'm just like, that's not it. And it took me a while to go, wait a second, everyone get out of my way. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this silly thing for fun that will probably not get anywhere. And then that's when I felt my groove come back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. It's kind of like the thing we were talking about earlier with, um, uh, you know, artists needing to have this kind of time behind the scenes or this incubation period or like, you know, this, 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 this time to, um, you know, kind of go back in the laboratory without any windows to the outside world and just kind of like make your, make your thing. And then, you know, open the front door and be like, Hey, who wants to look at this? <laughs> right. Right. And, and being exposed and naked and, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I think like, you know, back in that time I was starting to, to collage and stuff. And I think I mentioned this in the introduction that I, I felt a little, almost a little guilty in a way, like, oh, I really should be working on writing. And I had to kind of like, I mean, I could probably do, I could have done both, you know, but it's kind of hard because, you know, I work a full-time job and like, um, you know, I, I, I have a, my son is, is grown, grown man now, but, you know, for a while, like he was still living at home. And um, so I just I felt like um, I couldn't really do both things at that time. I've kind of learned how to do it now. I've kind of learned how to do both things now. But for that time frame, when I was first getting into it, I just had to really kind of devote myself and into this new obsession with with just doing the collage stuff for a while. Um, and I did end up kind of like easing that like restriction on myself a little bit. And I started to write like poems again, you know, which is like something that I started out doing when I first started writing um, is, is, is poems. And I, I feel like poems and, and collage are kind of similar in that way that they're like, they're both sort of like good kind of like building blocks on, on other like forms of, of creativity. I mean, they're their own special thing, obviously, and I don't like want to discount poetry at all, but to me, poetry is still kind of this weird, mysterious thing that I don't know, like, what to do with. If I write a poem, I'm like, what am I going to do with this now? Right, <laughs> you know? right. Like, I don't know. But I was going to say, though, that at that time, when I was having that kind of struggle, I was thinking, like, oh, I should really, like, you know, finish this other book. I need to, like, kind of strike while the iron's hot. You know, I need to, like, I need to keep this, like, rhythm and I didn't, and I didn't do it. I just put the, the writing stuff away. I mean, I kind of put that novel away. I kind of wonder if I would have like sat down and just like really kind of like pushed through and did that novel and have it done, you know, two years later and tried to send it out. <clears throat> if it would have, you know, if I feel like it would have been almost easier for me to publish then because it's like, oh yeah, he published this book two years ago or, you know, but now it's like, this is my first book in eight years, you know? <laughs> and so, and um, I did finish that novel. I finished it in early 2020, but now, oh, wow. like, yeah. but now it's like a son of a bitch to like, to place anywhere. 
I can't find it like, you know, it's a weird book. It's a weird novel. But I could, you know, I sent it out to agents, couldn't get any bites, sent it out to some small presses. Um, yeah, so I mean, that part of my creative life's been pretty frustrating because yeah. I was really excited about that, about that book. But um, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still. Did you, did you start working on another one? since since the you know i did and some people who know me uh, uh from facebook or whatever might know this story but i started uh so in march of 2020 um you know COVID i remember started. that month <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> and then and like you know like every everyone or nearly everyone at pals got laid off and and you know we're all like oh no we're staying at home now like what do we what do we do we'll be back to work in you know two months or whatever all right the curve will go down in two months everything will be fine yeah. (laughs) yeah and then we're like oh no this might be a while um and during that time i had just finished that book and i had sent it out to agents and stuff like that and that might be part of why that book you know maybe a little cursed too, because I was trying to send it out like right at the beginning of COVID when agents and publishers were sort of like, we don't know what we're doing. Like, well, they didn't know what they were putting out. It just, it's, it's like, what do we acquire now? Because the whole world's been shaken, you know? Yeah. And not only that, but you know, all the Trump years and the like, you know, dumpster fire of all that made it seem like the world is in perpetual crisis yeah. And who, who wants to read a, a fantastical novel about a baby looking for his dad? I do. <laughs> um, so um, that's the elevator pitch, Tony. Hey, you I, think, I think it's great. And, and it's just, I, I think people, I, I was, um, I was with this uh, writer's group and there was one guy in the writer's group and he said, I don't know what to do with my novel now because it doesn't reference the pandemic. And I feel like I need to reference the pandemic. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? We're just writing novels. You know, it does, we can't, it's, I'm, it does, the pandemic doesn't need to be a part of the narrative for it to be part of the world now, you know, it's but boy, it's a great marketing move for a while, but at some point it's just like, we're back to everyday life and the human condition just, you know, I, I'm reading Ulysses right now for the first time. And that was like right around plague time, too, if I remember right. Um, and it's just like the human condition lives on no matter what. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I uh, yeah. So I, I, I had a hard time, you know, figuring out what to do with that that book. Yeah. And then and I realized that I was going to be home for a while and, and it was great, actually. Like I was, I was laid off for like 11 months and then I went back to work, but during those 11 months, it was, it was great. I was having a great time. I was like, you know, seeing a couple of people. I had like my little, like, you know, COVID pod uh, of, of people that I could hang out with and stuff like that. And, um, and I had, you know, Susan, my cat who I had just adopted like two months before and like, so that was cool. Like spend a lot of quality time with her uh, doing some baking, like I was doing like some collage projects and stuff, but I did start working on this other book, um, which was kind of like an auto fiction sort of thing. It was, um, I wanted to write about a friend of mine who had uh, committed suicide in 2019 and, um, and about our friendship 
and about this you know the kind of you know there's always kind of like a weird mystery when someone like commits suicide like what oh it's so. yeah it's the the tragedy is just kind of mind-blowing and, and it never goes away it's so it's such a trip when our friends and kill yeah. themselves it's just like mm-hmm. it still jars me you know yeah so i i was starting to write about that but i was also kind of writing about um uh, you know, like I said, it's kind of an auto fiction thing. It was kind of like this kind of sprawling thing. <laughs> I was like talking about our friendship and he was this like gay man. And we had this like, you know, this, this, this sort of like romantic tension between us a little bit. And so it was kind of like addressing like bisexuality and it was talking about like depression. You know, I had gotten on Wellbutrin like you know, a few, few months before he passed away. Um, and, uh, talking about like this relationship I was in with this, this married woman who was in an open marriage, you know, it's all fictionalized, but it was all these like weird things like bisexuality, polyamory, um, depression, suicide, and my mom's Alzheimer's, you know, was part of the, the, the thread of these stories. And it was this crazy kind of thing and and I was really kind of like chugging along on it and um I had about 40,000 words done and you know it was really messy so I didn't really like show anybody yet um I didn't email it to myself or anything and then one day I uh couldn't find something on my computer and I like minimized all my windows and all the desktop files I had were gone and I have no idea like what happened even to this day like my, all my files, like all these, like, you know, my, my folder of short stories, my short folder of like personal essays, my, my word. You lost it all? I lost, I lost all of it. But, but the thing is that I could still get, you know, the short stories and the essays and the collages and stuff, because I had those like on, you know, like a Google drive or Dropbox or. Right, right. Submitted them somewhere. But the 40,000 words I wrote on that book were just gone because I didn't send it to anybody. I didn't show it to anybody. Um, and yeah, it was. It do, you, was do, you feel like there was do you feel like there was a kind of a grand reason for it that it was gone? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I would yeah. say that like I kind of had this idea like maybe my friend who died like uh maybe his ghost came and like took it off of my computer <laughs> or something you know yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I i i believe in that stuff like i it's it or it's you know i i'm i'm what do you call it I, plus i'm taking astrology classes right now so that that's my my obsession right now you know it's i got into tarot and numerology and astrology during covid but it's just yeah. like i feel like there are energies that 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 there that sometimes things happen for a reason not like it's a destiny thing but it's just where we we do have the possibility of parallel timelines or of you know of spirits still around us that um the acid just kicked him i'm sorry (laughs) 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 but it's just I don't doubt that stuff. It, it, it may, it may be, it may never ever be the reason, but maybe it's not. And who do I know? Yeah. How do I know? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so that, yeah, that happened uh, like almost a year ago. And ever since then, I, you know, I've, uh, 
I've sort of been afraid to like open a Word document because I just like, uh, you know, even to write something new. So I, yeah. I, I was hardly, I, I haven't really written much since then. And then uh, just in, maybe about two months ago, I decided like um, that I was, that I, I wanted to, to work on something. And a friend of mine said, why don't you take those themes from that book? and like just write like a shorter essay version of what you wanted to, to say, or at least about your friend. You wouldn't have to include all this other stuff about your other parts of your life, but just kind of focus on your friend and get that out. And so that was, that was great advice. So I kind of started to write like a personal essay more specifically about him and our friendship and, um, and, and also about suicide in general, because I was like reading a lot about um, suicide. I was, uh, studying, I guess you'd say, um, like assisted dying uh, books and and uh, things like that. Um, I don't think my friend had like a terminal illness or anything like that. I think it was just, you know, just deep depression. But, um, you know, it, it's been interesting to kind of read about like all these different <clears throat> cases where people are using assisted suicide or assisted dying or whatever you want to call it yeah i mean there's there's times where i just go i go why aren't more people committing suicide when you think about it you know just like the problems you're just like going how it's it's like oh wow we are kind of resilient but in the end it's sometimes just like why aren't there more because because life is crazy and it's the pressure's hard you know yeah yeah um yeah i don't know um I mean, if, if, if somebody is terminally sick or if they're, if they're dying already, um, I've come to the belief that, that assisted dying is, uh, is, is really a legit, yeah. you know, good way for people to end their life. If they're, if they're going through a lot of stuff like that, um, cause, uh, you know, if somebody is, is, is dying of cancer or something like that and there's and there's they're just kind of being kept alive for like another three months or another year or whatever but they're just having a miserable time during that time you know i i don't know that's that's explainable the unexplainable is when it kind of comes out of nowhere and they don't have an illness and there is mental illness of course but it's just like those are the ones that kind of just really mess with my mind it's, you know, it's just like, wait a second, you know, you, you, you could have gotten help. I I would have taken you personally to the hospital, you know, and just like, just let, just let everything simmer for a few months Mm -hmm. and then re-enter the, re-enter the world kind of and see, see how it goes, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I've been working on that essay for a couple of months now. It's getting, it's getting kind of long, you know, it's almost to the point where I'm sort of like, Oh, maybe I should just keep going and turn this into the novel again, you know, like, but I I don't really want to, I like the way, you know, it's about 5,000 words right now. Um, So it's kind of a longer piece. I don't know if I'll get it published anywhere because it's super hard to publish long pieces, but um, um, yeah, I, I like the way it's going though. And I like that it's, you know, all totally, nonfiction you know it's all memoir yeah. um, I mean I could maybe like take it and 
start weaving in some other kind of like structural fictional elements and try to turn it into that novel again if I wanted to bring it back but I don't know if I if, if I can if I can bring that back I was writing word of advice back it up yeah exactly <laughs> I know that's the lesson of this uh of this story so um yeah that's all. that that is the lesson Kevin thank you for coming on the show yes of course thank you one two three four one yeah. Okay. Don't do it. Don't try it. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't do that. You got a good thing going on. Kevin Sempsil on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, 
I Made an Accident. Next week on the show, my guest is Liska Jacobs as we talk about her new book, The Pink Hotel. Keep reading, keep writing, learn the craft of, ri- craft of writing, support your local library, be a good library citizen. I'll see Like, <laughs> Be a good literary citizen. Um, and when you have dementia and you start to talk weird, go see a doctor. I'll see you next week. You're listening to 101.9 FM. KPCRLP Santa Cruz.